Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to first, I'm going to make some observations and, and share with you three lessons about prayer or on prayer that Paul teaches us. So just reading this passage, here's what we can learn from Paul. Then I'm going to talk about what Paul actually prayed and We're going to talk about what Paul prayed for the Ephesians church and what he's praying for us, the Garden Church. And then we'll just respond together and see what our response is from the text. We believe that the scripture is is authoritative. It's God-breathed and inspired. So we want, as followers of Jesus, to live our life around the scriptures. And, um, And we're in a series called Ephesians. It's called Artisan Faith. And we're looking at Ephesians. So for three chapters, Paul has been, um, talking about all that God has done for us already. All that God has done already for us. This is the gospel. This is what God has done. You were dead, but now you are alive. Christ has done this. This is God's redemptive plan that through the church, God is gonna renew and reconcile the cosmos. Through the church, through people like you, he's crafting us, he's perfecting us into a work of art to be used for works of service in the world. And for three chapters, Paul will just tell us what God is like and who we are because of what God is like and what he's done for us. And then he transitions in chapter four to respond, to say, okay, in view of all that God has done, in view of who you are already, be who you are. Live your life worthy of the calling. So let's, let's talk about alcohol. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about relationships. Let's talk about parenting. Let's talk about uh, living in community. Let's talk about spiritual warfare. So this is what Paul does, is that he starts off with what God has done. So we're at this transition point where Paul begins with prayer, transitions with this prayer and he'll end the whole book in prayer so let's read this prayer together in ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 paul is praying it says for this reason i kneel before the father from whom every name in heaven and on earth derives its name i pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, it's a powerful prayer. Are you guys with me? Are you guys just checked out because I'm sick and you're worried? Am I going to catch it from this distance? Is there like a transference to the power? No, it's not how it works. So, three lessons in Paul. First lesson, prayer is everything to Paul. Paul begins with prayer. He transitions in prayer. He ends with prayer. All of Paul's life is prayer. The picture we have of the Apostle Paul is him kneeling before the Father, a place. Just imagine him. This is the image he gives us, kneeling before the Father in submission, in in reverence, interceding on behalf of the church in Ephesus. And if we know anything about Ephesus, we know that it's a place of of Roman Empire, conquest, Hellenistic culture, where people are defined by their value and worth. There's, uh, there's all sorts of practice, sexual immorality going on. There's issues contextually. Um, there's all sorts of uh, uh, people working against the church. And you'd think 
if, if I would think, if I was Paul, I would pray like for financial resources, remain strong, you know, and fight the battle and physical strength and sickness of sickness. But Paul, Paul doesn't pray that way. This is, this is what he prays. Of all the things he could pray and write down for the church, it's this. And, he, and the image is him kneeling. So Paul prays and prayer is everything. Prayer is is, is so important for our lives. So that's one observation. I, I had a, a recent meeting with a famous Christian leader who flew down from San Francisco as a pastor to meet with some of our leaders at our church and to, to do strategy and planning and just inspire us towards this future. And he flew down here on his own dime and, and had, he was flying back up the same day and we have just a, a short amount of time together and and we get together for our meeting, and, and, and I'm just, okay, you ready? You know, like, are you ready to meet? He's like, yeah, well, let's just pray. And he spends half of our meeting praying. And literally halfway through, I'm like, are we going to get on to the strategy <laughs> and the planning? And then I realized that prayer is the strategy. Prayer is the plan. Prayer is the means, and prayer is the ends, because prayer is everything. Does that make sense? The second observation is that prayer is intimate. Paul's prayer and his language flows from an intimate understanding of who God is and what he is like. Prayer just flows out of his life from a place of intimacy, of personality, of awareness. It's like prayer needs to be the mother tongue, the mother language of the church. It needs to be our language of how things are accomplished, of how, not how we get things done, done, how we decide on what to do and how to get those things done. But prayer comes from a place of intimacy. It's not something that we just study. It's not something that you can just, just read about in a book. Prayer is about experience. <clears throat> prayer is about practice. Prayer is about intimacy. Brendan Manning, one of my, my great heroes, um, tells a story about uh, uh, the time that he was in New Orleans as, as a priest. And he was living in an apartment. And one day, a woman comes and knocks on his door. He opens the door and he, she says, are you Brennan Manning? He says, yes. She says, I, I got your name from a friend. Here's the deal, my dad's dying. I went to our local priest, but he gets too caught up in the administration of the church and busy and he forgets to come. And I don't know how much time my daddy has, so would you come over and pray for him? And Brennan says, yeah, I'll be there in 10 minutes. He comes over to the house with anointing oil to anoint him with oil. He comes into the room, the old man lying on the bed, and there was an empty chair next to him. He says, oh, hi, are you expecting me? He says, no, who are you? And Brennan says, says I'm, a, I'm a priest, and your daughter asked if I would come and pray and anoint you with oil. And he's like, he just said, I, I assume because of the empty chair that you, uh, you were expecting me. He said, oh, no, that's, close the door. Come in, I've got to ask you a question. Brennan comes in sits down. He says, you're a, uh, you're a priest. You, tell me what you think of this. A few years ago, I, uh, I wanted to learn about prayer, so I went to my priest and asked him uh, about the subject, and he handed me a book by a Swiss theologian on the subject. I read three pages and looked, I uh, had to go to a dictionary for 11 different words that I didn't understand. I, threw the, I gave the book back to the priest the next week. I said, thanks, thanks for nothing, as I whispered under my breath, and I didn't know how to pray, so I gave it up. And then my friend came and said, prayer is easy. Look, here's what you do. Grab an empty chair, and in your heart and mind, imagine Jesus, the Lord, with you, sitting there. Because it says in his scriptures that he will be with you always to the ends of the age. And have a conversation like you're having with me with a friend. And so the man turned to Brennan and he says, I've been doing that 
every day, sometimes for two hours. Do you think that's prayer? You're a priest, tell me. And Brennan said, simple, profound, it delights the heart of Jesus. Left and went home. A couple days later, the woman came back, to, knocked on the apartment door, told, him, told Brennan that his daddy passed, her daddy passed. And Brennan said, did he pass in peace? She said, yeah, but the strangest thing happened. He called me into his room around two o'clock, right before I left to the store. And I, uh, he kissed me on the head and told me a silly joke. I went to the store when I came back. Right before my daddy passed away, he pulled himself out of bed and laid his head on the empty chair. Prayer is intimate. Do you have that kind of relationship with the God, of cre- the creator of heavens and the earth? Paul teaches us to have that type of relationship. Third observation, prayer, I love this one. Prayer flows from abundance. Remember, Paul's interceding for the church. Most of my intercession prayers begin with what's lacking, scarcity. I'm sick, I need healing. I don't have enough money, I need money. I don't have a job, I need a job. We, if we were to just collect the needs among ourselves in this room, it would be a profound list that would take hours to pray for all the things that are lacking in this church. But Paul doesn't begin his intercessory prayer from a place of scarcity. He begins with a place of abundance, out of the glorious riches, immeasurably more than you can even imagine. Power, strength in your inner man. Do you see how profound that is? Paul's prayers are energized and shaped by the Trinity. The abundance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Are those your prayers? Do you pray from a place of abundance? These are just my observations this week. I thought that that these are the practical things. I'll just give you up front. Prayer is everything. Prayer stems from a place of intimacy, and prayer should flow out of abundance, not from scarcity. So these are just... Three observations I thought we could take as a church as we begin to pray for everything, as we begin to develop this intimacy of imagine just sitting and dying in a way where you lay your head, your head on the lap. That's, that's from the Gospel of John, that the beloved disciple John rests on the bosom of Christ, the incarnate revelation of the Father. And prayer flows from abundance. So what does Paul actually pray? Let's, let's look at his actual prayer. He prays only two things in a variety of ways. Are you guys good for this Bible study so far? Um, there would be an inner, the first thing he prays is that there would be an inner strengthening through the power of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of Christ. And the second thing Paul prays is that the church would experience personal knowledge of power and love of Christ. Those are the two things we read about. Those are the two things that Paul's, Paul's prayer include. And, and this is what he says in verse 16. He says, I pray out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So I just want to talk about what this means. And then we'll, we'll respond to this text together as we move forward as a church. First, Paul's prayer is for your inner being. And for your heart. Now, inner being or trans, another translation is inner man. Paul is praying for uh, the center of your life to be strengthened by the power of the Spirit. So that through faith, Christ, Jesus, may make his home in the center of your existence. Imagine your life as a house. And his prayer is that your insides would be strengthened. That Christ would come 
and make his home in your house and have free range to renovate, restore, and rebuild the inside of your interior life. <coughs> That's his prayer. It's not that he would, you know, you get rid of sin. His prayer is not so that you, you deal with that addiction. He's summing up all the prayers he could possibly pray, pray by just this one prayer. That the Spirit would fill you with power in your inner man, your inner being, so that Christ may rule in your life. That um, in the heart is not, not your emotional capacity. The heart in the Hebrew and Greek form of thinking is, is kind of the center of your, your life, the, the place where your will, your emotions, your mind all come together um, as kind of the center of your decision-making and willpower. That Christ would be the center of your life. Now, I want you to think about how profound this is. Are we not self-centered? Is our, our culture not built around you being the most important being in the world? Your emotions, your ideas about yourself, <coughs> whatever you discover inside is the truest thing about you. And that's a lie that the world and our culture is feeding us. That actually we move as followers of Jesus from self-centered to Christ-centered. Where Christ, Paul will pray in Galatians chapter 2. Um, I think I have this verse, chapter 2, verse 20. What? No, Galatians. Sorry, gave you the wrong one. It's Galatians. I know it is. It's Galatians chapter 2. Sorry, Seth, that's my bad. Um, just blame it on the cold. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live. Christ lives within me. Christ lives in me. That is, do you believe that you can, that your actions will be Christ's actions in the world? The way you treat your spouse would be as if Christ was the one treating your spouse perfectly. That, that's what Paul is saying. That through the, only through the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot possibly do this on your own strength. Paul's praying that your inside, your inner will would be transformed as Christ rules and reigns in your thoughts and minds and your actions so that he lives through you and the world will know and the world will see what it's like for God to reign. I want this. This is what I was praying all week. I'm so quick-tempered. I'm so insecure and afraid and full of doubt. If left to my own strength, if I was alone in the dark, I would sin all the time, regularly. I'm so glad I'm married for that reason, of just the accountability alone. I would binge watch Netflix all day long. Not that that's sin, but I would. Sometimes it's sin. Can I get an amen? Do you know what I'm talking about? Thank God, I felt alone for a moment. <laughs> I was like, dang, you guys are... You guys are perfect. You're all saints. Oh, wait, you are. Um, go back to the series. So the second thing he prays. So this is his prayer. From move from self-centered to Christ-centered. I don't even have any idea how that happens other than it's a mystery. That the only way you can do that is by surrendering your life to the Spirit. It's like the posture then for transformation is, okay, God, fill me. Help me, to, help me to live. Just come into every room in the house. Extreme a home makeover, right? 
But the, the difference is, you know what we want? This, oh man, this, I'm just figuring this out as we go. We want to go somewhere else so that they just do all the work for us and we show up and there it is, right? That's what we want. God, fix it. And instead he's like, no, no, here's a hammer. <laughs> We're gonna go over here. We're gonna work on this room right here. You know what I'm saying? This one, you need to, you need to cut this one out, all right? We're gonna just demolish this wall right here because that's just produced so much anger and bitterness and lust in your life. But we're going to rebuild something together that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Corey. <laughs> I tell Corey all the time, I love you when you're in church. I feel, so, I feel so loved. I know I'm on the right track. I could use it from this side. Jeremiah, are you over there? There he is. <laughs> uh, second thing, that the church would experience the knowledge Personal knowledge of the power and love of Christ. Look at this. This is so profound. This is what I didn't get. He says, this is what he prays. That you being rooted and established in love. So the first prayer is that you would be rooted, this organic growth into the ground. Think of the roots would go deep in love. But then establish is a construction term. It's, it's that you would build the foundation on the rocks, not on the sand. The build your life upon his love. That you be rooted and established so that you would be anchored in the love of Christ. And then he goes on. That you may, you may have the power to grasp, to seize, to, to conquer is a translation. Uh, with all the, Lord's, all, all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now this is so interesting to me. I'm kind of a geek when it comes to Greek and ancient literature. But what's interesting is that the four dimensions, there's all sorts of theological debate why Paul uses the four dimension. Three is a three-dimensional object, but the fourth, what's up with this? Well, it's fascinating because Ephesus, we've talked about this, had this powerful supernatural kind of interest into other deities and all the other false gods. Remember, there, I, I talked about this a long time ago, but in the same way that there's an app for everything today, Back 2,000 years ago, there was like a spell for everything back then. They would have these incantations and these, these, um, these uh, objects that were sacred, for, set apart to other deities and gods like Artemis and Diana and, and Zeus and all these Greek gods. So if you wanted prosperity in your business, there was a god for that. If you wanted, um, uh, infer if you wanted fertility, there was a god for that. If you wanted a big crop for your crop and harvest, there was a god for that. If you wanted to curse someone, there were... There were these sayings you could say. There were these gods and, and spells for that. And there's all sorts of superstition. So it was the worldview of Ephesus that there were these gods that controlled our destinies and fates and they were angry, they were distant. Even to get a prayer answered from Artemis, you had to say the right formula in the right way because she wouldn't pay attention unless you gave her lots of sacrifice. And, and then there was this, this scroll about 2,000 years ago that Ephesus would have known about and it's the only ancient literature we have that has the four dimensions that Paul uses that was referring to conjuring up super, supernatural powers to get the outcome you wanted from life. So Paul takes that and applies it to love of Christ. In other words, he's taking their worldview. I'm getting up for this. This is so interesting. <laughs> he takes their worldview and he just, he just switches and says, it's not about those powers. This is about the love of God. That all the conjuring you want, all the ways you can go to your self-help books, your diet, your exercise, your karma, your spiritual guru, whatever that is for us, 
Paul just applies it and says, actually, it's anchored in Christ's love. That the thing you're searching for in the world is found in the love of God. That's what Carl Jung says, right? Every human is longing to be loved. Actually, that's Sigmund Freud, not Carl Carl. Sigmund Freud said that. The human has a condition that there's, a, there's this, uh, in, uh, this desire to be satisfied by love. Oh, it's so good. So he says to grasp the dimensions of God's love. And then he goes on. So another thing about love, he says, he says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. And the word to know this love is this perfect tense, perfect present tense, meaning that you can never, you never just land there. Oh, now I got it. I got God's love. It's good. I'm good. I got it down. It's this ongoing process of experiencing love. Because did you catch what he says? Love is beyond knowledge. Paul's saying love, that you may have power to know this love, this regularly know ongoing experience. But you can't just read about it in a book or sing about it in a song or watch it on a YouTube. You have to surrender yourself to this funnel of a fire hose that is the furious love of God for all people. Regularly experiencing, surrendering, sleeping and taking naps in the love of God. That's the only way we can possibly get our life together because it's his love that transforms us. If you think that Christianity is about you tithing and getting your act together, cleaning up your house before the cleaners come, that's not it. It is God's love for your life for no good reason unless you submit to this perfect love that cannot be talked about with vague ideas or or just discussed in a book, as the pagan philosophers, such as Aristotle, arrived at the existence of God. He, via human reason, he referred to God in a vague, impersonal term. He said he's the uncaused cause or the immovable mover. This is the picture of God in ancient culture, a philosophy that's influenced more Western culture than anything else. It's this, the idea that there's some deity out there who's the, the best language we can use to describe is, is, is the immovable mover. And then it doesn't get much better, but the prophets of Israel reveal a God who is the father or God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's a little warmer and it's a, a more compassionate description. But only Jesus reveals God to a Jewish community as Abba, Daddy. That the image we have of this God and this love is that of the perfect love of a a father who sees this little boy and wants to hold this little boy on his lap because a father delights in his little boy, in his little girl. The book, The Gospel Without Compromise, I love what this author says. I, I don't have it up there. I just pulled this in last minute. She summarizes the gospel with this. She says, the gospel can be summed up by saying that it is the tremendous, tender, compassionate, gentle, extraordinary, explosive, revolutionary revelation of Christ's love. The love of God embraces all without exception, for his love is never based on our performance, never conditioned by our moods of joy or depression. The furious love of God knows no shadow shadow of alteration. It is always tender. And Paul's invitation in his prayer is not to talk about it, not to read about it and exegete the passage, 
It's to respond to it and experience it for yourself. Have you experienced this love? Have you experienced this kind of love that Paul makes his prayer for 2,000 years over the church? It's not that you would, you know, stand against opposition and evangelize the world and do the things that Jesus did. He, he prays that you would have power through the Spirit to strengthen your inner being. Christ may dwell in your hearts, but that you may, you may be energized and experience the ongoing love of God for you. Hallelujah. Even as a Christian pastor, I think, I want to tell you my story. I think even when I, I uh, you know, I got into this, I was young. I was 10 years ago, I was working at a church, 22. And when you're 22, you don't know anything, but you think you know everything. Can I get an amen? All the older. This is what you learn 10 years, right? So for 22-year-olds, good luck. And I'm sure 42-year-olds are going to say something to me and 52-year-olds, which is great. I don't think I know anything any, anymore. But I do know this, that I, I, when I was young, I could talk about God's love. I know, I, and thank you, Jeremiah. Keep coming, keep, keep them coming. You talk about, you talk about God's love um, from a distance, like it's, in, uh, it's just this object, right? And, and I, would, I, would, I would share with people about God's love. And, but deep inside, I just thought I had to be the mini Mother Teresa or Francis Chan or, you know, or uh, Mike Erie bill doctrine you know i just felt like i had to become these people to to for god to really like me can anyone relate to that that yeah i yes i know god loves me but i just have to work so hard because deep down inside i just feel like i screwed up i feel like i am a screw up i know how much i miss it i know how much i'm a hypocrite today i know that but when I was young, I, I, I could talk about it like I talk about music, right? And it's like we can talk about music and there are songs that we love. And like, like I would talk like this, like there's a song, right, that, uh, that was recorded in 1984. And it wasn't met with very much excitement, no popularity. Eventually it was redone um, or remade into a, a, a French album as a tribute album, which nobody really heard the song until 1994 when a young musician covers a song. It's not really popular until the young musician dies. And um, since then, the song has been recorded over 300 different times. It's, it's considered one of the greatest songs ever recorded since uh, in 2004. That's what Rolling Stones said. There, have been, there, are, there are 80 different versions or 80 different verses of the song written by the original author. And in 2001, it was featured in a film uh, called Shrek, and it became a big hit. And now there's books, there's an, an entire book dedicated to the song. And, and it's, it's called The Holy or the Broken, the, uh, the book by Alan Light. And, and this is the thing, like, I could talk about God's love back then like this. I could talk about the song. I could know the facts. I could read to you like, I, like it is like weather or mountains or... Or, or I could even describe the song. Like the song really is like haunting, yet holy. It's depressing, yet somewhat hopeful. It's a bit sad, and it also feels like a bit sacred, like a worship song. And I think this is what most of us do with the Christian faith, isn't it? This is what we've been taught. Deal with your sin. 
Go to church. Read some Christian books. Read the Jesus Calling. There's, Jesus Calling is great. I'm not doubting <laughs> It's like we talk about music. But brothers and sisters, we were created to hear the song and sing along. And here's the song I'm talking about. You've heard it before. This is a cover of it. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I could have said it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, but then you would have got the song. Because in the song, it describes itself, which is quite ironic. But at some point, have you heard the song before? Did, how many of you knew what I was talking about? Yeah, okay, wow, that was not what I expected. But have you heard the song? Have you really heard the song? 2009, I was getting ready to plant this church. Talked a lot about the music. I went to Northern Ireland with, with my family. My brother was interning at a church, and the pastor of this church wanted to pray for us, and so we set up an appointment, and this old six-year-old man, not that that's old, but he was... <coughs> Ouch. Sorry. See you later. Just kidding. Um, we got 30-year-olds. They're all offended, and... Um, no. And uh, we were in this, this, this man sat on the floor and my wife and I sat on this couch and he prayed the most gentle prayers I've ever heard someone pray. And he, he had a word of knowledge about our marriage that no one knew about and it, was, it just unlocked all this pain. And then he says the most gentle thing and he said this, he says, Darren, I can see that you've tried really hard to earn God's love. But the image I have is that you're just a wee little boy <laughs> sitting on daddy's lap. And he loves you so much. And that's where he wants you to live. And as you work in ministry from this day forward, go as a, little, a wee little boy sitting on daddy's lap. I wept for probably 45 minutes. I wept as I felt the father's love where I heard the music for the first time heard the music and it wasn't for the person next to me it wasn't for Mother Teresa it wasn't for Billy Graham it was for Darren and so do you know this God do you know this love that's the question that I have for you today the only response possible yes pray pray from abundance sign up for the 40 hours of prayer this is the obvious thing that's easy sign up great you're done do that but more importantly Would you surrender yourself to the love of God? Would you stand this morning, come forward in a posture of vulnerability, of complete humility, and say, God, I want to be your little boy, your little girl, and experience ongoing love that you have for me? I just heard this story yesterday of Henry Nowen seeing a guy in a field standing up like this. Henry Nowen was driving, he pulls over and runs out, and he felt as he got to him, he was standing on sacred ground. He's like, excuse me, sir, what are you doing? He said, I'm just letting God enjoy me. <laughs> and if you can't accept that, if that's not what your experience with God is like, 
then it's not a biblical one. Because the author of the Gospel of John gives himself the name, the beloved disciple. <laughs> I mean, all the other guys were dead by then, so I think it's like, they weren't gonna argue. <laughs> but as my friend John Peter says, can you put on the shirt that says, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. God loves you, but I'm his favorite. Shall we spend some time just experiencing his love this morning? I, I, that's how I want to end. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I have some more stories I could share, but I just feel like maybe if we would be so vulnerable and courageous, we could come in worship now and in prayer that we might just put ourselves be, below the faucet of love and allow him to turn it on. So let's stand together. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.